Hey, thanks for checking out the So What Factor. My name's Randy Bennett. I'm a United Methodist pastor, and these sermons answer the question, I hope, so what? So what? Is God real? So what am I supposed to do with my life? So what does the Bible actually say? So in every sermon, it's my hope that you'll figure out what the so what is. But if you don't know, or it wasn't clear, feel free to find me on Facebook at Randy Bennett Jr., and shoot me a message. You can also email me at pastorrandybennett at yahoo.com. Be happy to hear your questions and, and, uh, and connect with you. So thanks for listening. Take care and God bless. Here we go. Today, uh, we continue a two-part series uh, on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, last week, the title of the sermon was The Father's Kingdom. And last week we learned how prayer is the means of grace by which we engage conversationally with our good, holy, and heavenly Father. Jesus teaches the disciples to pray first by petitioning God's holiness and kingdom. See, the purpose of beginning prayer in this manner is for a person to be centered in on God's presence and God's will. You see, prayer is first and foremost about God's kingdom and God's will. Prayer is secondly, though, it's, it's about our lives, personally uh, and corporately as a body, and how we can discover God's will for our lives. And prayer isn't always easy. Because walking with Jesus, Jesus isn't always easy. Sure, there's a peace that surpasses all understanding when we walk with Jesus, but that peace often comes at a great cost. Jesus says as much in John's Gospel. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I think it's really important to remember we have to work at our relationships with God and each other. That is so vital, to work at our relationship with God and each other. See, we are living in a world where, y'all, you need to know that as I preach, there's like a million flies buzzing me, and they're landing on my head, and look, there's one right there. So if I can, I'm going to take them out if I can, okay? Just, just roll with me here. We're living in a world where people often take the easiest way out, don't we? Where if a person doesn't get what they want, when they want it, they go somewhere else. In marriages, sometimes they find someone else who will give them what they want right now. Strange thing, though, about wanting what you want right now it's almost never as fulfilling as putting in the hard work of following Jesus. Of hanging in there and doing the right thing. The hard work of learning to love others as you have been loved. 
You see, it is in Jesus that we have peace, but we must be willing to put in the hard work of maintaining our relationship with God through Jesus. Because through Jesus, we have a good, good Father. We belong to the Father's kingdom, and as such, we are His children through Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son. Being children of the good, good Father is the other part of the Lord's prayer that we're going to consider today. Jesus continues teaching the disciples how to pray as the Father's children. And that's what we are, the Father's children. There are three petitions that Jesus teaches us as the Father's children. Petition number one is this, needs, not wants. Needs, not wants. Petition number two, healthy relationships with the father and his other children. Petition number three, deliverance from temptation. So let's begin with the first one. Needs, not wants. Jesus says, give us today our daily bread. Now, you should know that the words for daily bread there occur only in the Lord's Prayer. Nowhere else in the Bible except in the Lord's Prayer. The common laborer in the time of Jesus would have often been hired only one day at a time with no promise of work the next day. Without work, there would literally be no bread, no no credit card or stimulus package to tide you over. You don't work, you don't eat, and neither does your family. You see, having bread in the ancient Near East and still all over the world today was the difference between life and death. When I was in seminary, I had two um, Tanzanian classmates, Limi and Lucas and Daro. And they were dear friends of mine, at least at the time. Of course, you know, like a lot of things, uh, we've, we've lost touch except through Facebook uh, over the years. Um, and I know how this congregation loves Uganda. Uh, well, Randy has a special place in his heart for Tanzania. Um, I, uh, I, I was able to crash one night uh, at the Andaro's house. Um, I was going to have an early morning the next morning. And, and as I was spending time with them, that night, um, we were talking about what it was like when they were growing up in Tanzania. And um, Lucas was telling me how he was missing toes on, on, on each foot just from having to walk without shoes until in, he was into his adulthood. But he also said, um, I remember a time in my life when my wife had no bread. And I had no bread to feed my wife. I never, ever want to go back to seeing my wife without bread. The next morning, breakfast was as much cereal as I could put in my body and like half a loaf of bread he toasted. They were serious about bread, y'all. Most of us have no concept of what it must be like to go without food. Not even fancy food, just good old bread, you know? 
Most of us don't have that concept. We whine. We whine about the things that we want and we do not have instead of realizing that we have everything we need and some things we want, even during a pandemic. Don't we? We have everything we need and some things we want. Even even today's church service. God has provided for our need. May it not be exactly what we want, but He's providing for our need even right now. When we pray this petition to God, asking for what we need daily, we're focusing upon that which is life-giving, whether it's literal bread or it's spiritual bread. By the way, Do you know why so many Christian missions focus on food, housing, and clothing? Food, housing, and clothing. Because without these three basic human physical needs being met first, it's going to be impossible to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be impossible to meet the spiritual and emotional needs of others. That's why food, clothing, and housing is so important to the Christian mission field. Give us today our daily bread. Jesus continues with the next petition, reminding us that relationships with the Father, yes, reminding us of relationships with the Father and His other children. Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now this would have meant, uh, by the way, that's the actual, actual, actual translation. The Presbyterians have it right, y'all. Presby- God's other children, right, right. Presbyterians have it right. Um, it is literally debts. And that's significant, especially if you're approaching the Scripture from the Old Testament perspective. And as Matthew uh, and, and Luke are recording Jesus from the Jewish perspective, this word debt is important. And if you consider the background of Jewish history, um, every seven years, there was a year of Jubilee. And also every 50th year, a year of Jubilee, where whatever debts a person had were forgiven, and they were pronounced debt free. Wouldn't that be awesome? I would love for somebody to pronounce me debt free. Well, the good news of Jesus Christ is, at least regarding my sin state, I'm debt free. Regarding the government and my student loans, not so much. You see, only God can pay the debt. The debt of our sin state through the blood offering of His Son, Jesus Christ. God has, through the offering of His Son, paid the sin debt of all people who choose to accept that payment. See, when a person accepts Jesus' gift by faith, they receive a pardon from God for their sin state. By the way, sin state is disbelief. People think it's behaviors. No, no. It's disbelief. Behaviors stem from disbelief. 
So all the behaviors that come, that come with that state of sin, past, present, and future, when Jesus forgives the state of sin, he also forgives all of those behaviors, including the ones you haven't yet done. It doesn't give you license to do them. Just saying they're forgiven. Jesus has pronounced you debt-free. That's a gift of being the Father's child. And just as God has so freely forgiven our sins, so too are we called to practice forgiving others for their sinful behaviors toward us. The Lord's Prayer assumes that all disciples of Jesus Christ will regularly confess our sinful behaviors, those behaviors that hurt oneself or one's, uh, somebody else. You know, those others. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, I've received the following question I'm getting ready to share with you. I've received that everywhere I've ever pastored. And I think I've probably even asked it myself several times over the years. And the question is this. I am having problems forgiving someone who has sinned against me and they have not asked my forgiveness. Does that make me a sinner for not saying, I forgive you? It's a great question, isn't it? Well, I might want to encourage you to reframe a couple of things there. For starters, forgiveness, um, forgiveness is a process for us. And when we say we forgive somebody, we're choosing to have a new starting place with them. We, we can't historically, we cannot forget the past. The past has happened. But we can say, I choose to continue my relationship with you from right here. One of the things that regular confession does for us as Christians um, it, it is, is it allows us that continual renewal opportunity with God the Father. Now, regular confession of sins does not equal salvation because salvation's already been given. But when we confess, it shows that we're interested in growing in grace. Just as when a son or a daughter confesses to their parents that they've done something wrong, they're not expelled from the house because of it. It's the same thing with God. God doesn't expel his children from his kingdom because of sinful behaviors. Otherwise, what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross for the state of sin? No point at all. Now listen, we're getting ready to get down to the others part of this, right? Because I know if you're like me, you're fine, right? It's everybody else has got an issue. At the heart of our relationship with God and other children... At the heart of that is humility. Humility. We don't really see that modeled much in our world, but you know what? Neither did they see that modeled much in Jesus' time. That's why the foundational beatitude, the very thing that kicks off Jesus' whole Sermon on the Mount, everything, it all comes back to this one point. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. See, if you have said or done something that has hurt another person or other people, but you did it because you were sure that you were right and they were wrong, 
then that is not a poverty of spirit. That is not humility. That's pride. Poverty of spirit, humility, is to ask yourself before you behave in a manner that hurts another person, to ask yourself the question, what if I'm wrong? What if I'm wrong? If you will ask yourself before you act, what if I'm wrong? Then you're going to counteract whatever pride is going on inside of you that causes you to speak truth without love. Well, I was just telling them the truth. Where are you or were you speaking truth without love? Because there's a huge difference. One divides, one tears apart, one kills, the other heals. Conversely, when someone has hurt you because they are sure they are right, we're called to humbly practice forgiveness by praying this petition over and over from the Lord's Prayer to to be humble enough, to be humble enough to be honest with ourselves and look yourself in a mirror or in your smartphone and say, you know, maybe this time I was hurt by someone else's behavior, but I know I've done the same thing on different occasions. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. The last petition is Jesus talking about deliverance from temptation. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, why does the Lord's Prayer say this? I mean, is God, I thought God was loving, right? Is is a loving God leading us into temptation? Is this some sort of divine litmus test? What's happening here? Well, first off, you need to know, first and foremost, that God is not the author of temptation. James reminds us that when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his or her own evil desire, they are dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. James 1.13. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples to rely upon the good Father. To rely on the good father to not withdraw his hand from them, but to keep them against temptation by ungodly powers. Friends, just remember, our good, good father is the God of all that is seen and unseen. And listen, you can't be a Christian without believing in the unseen. We believe in a Holy Spirit we cannot see. This Holy Spirit who can be felt and witnessed in people's spiritual giftedness. There is a realm unseen by human eyes. We're limited by our flesh. But this unseen world is all around us. And there are spiritual forces of darkness that desire to tempt us away from the light of Jesus Christ and from loving one another. 
There are times in Scripture where God tests His people, but God never tempts His people, right? But perhaps today was a test. All right, let's knock out some breakers and make something smell like smoke inside here. You weren't here for the smoky smell part, but I I want you to know that was really neat. Don't worry, the only fire in here is a burning right here. I'm just kidding, that's bad. And yet we, we kept, kept plugging along. God has met our need and we're continuing to worship right now. But friends, it is Satan that tempts. But it's ultimately we who choose to disobey. I'll be honest, I've not heard it a whole lot up here, but growing up back home in northeastern Tennessee, I often heard people say, the devil made me do it. Really? The devil made you go in and, and, and into a gas station and pull a gun, take all, their, take all the money out of the register and, and steal some, some chewing gum and some lottery tickets. To, the devil made you do that. You didn't do that? Get real and get real with yourself. The devil doesn't make you do a thing. You and I, we're the ones that choose to disobey. Don't blame God. Don't blame Satan. By grace, God has given you his power to overcome the devil and his schemes as well as just being of flesh. God's given us that power. As disciples, when we pray, we are requesting that God, our Father, spiritually protect us. For without the good, good Father's guidance, we might guide ourselves straight to destruction. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now what about that last part there? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the Lutheran version. The Methodist version is forever. Amen. You know, it depends on how many forevers you want to throw in there. I don't know. That's not in Scripture, by the way. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. That's not in Scripture. Jesus didn't say that. Does that make it less, any less valued or any less valuable? Absolutely not. It's simply a doxology that the church has added. And it doesn't take away from the practice of adding it to a prayer because that was, in fact, the Jewish practice is to add a doxology to every prayer, to add a praise God at the end of every prayer so that no matter what you're coming to God with, you can offer a praise God. We see that David does this in um, the book of First Chronicles. Listen to what David, David um, says uh, to the Lord at the end of a prayer. He says, yours, O Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. So look, it's not, it's not in Jesus' prayer that he taught the disciples to pray. But it certainly is God-honoring, and we certainly do it now as part of our tradition. And it doesn't take away from it. It appears to add to it. 
Because it's true. God's power, God's glory, God's kingdom, they are forever. Because God is the good, good Father. And by faith, our good, good Father has offered to make all of us children through His Son, Jesus, by grace through faith. And so, these are the words of the Lord's Prayer seriously considered this day for the Church of Christ community and everybody that's tuning in on Facebook Live today. And um, now we're getting ready to make you motion sick one more time. Okay? So the praise team doesn't know this is getting ready to happen, um, but uh, this, is, this is what we're going to do. So let's pause for a minute and so I can stop the recording on, on my podcast.